Do y'all know what time it is? It's that time of the year where it's starting to get a little warmer outside. Not that we had a that bad of a winter this year, but it's starting to get a little warmer. And you, you start going, is it Warren Buffett time? Is, is, it, is this the time where Warren Buffett releases his letter to shareholders? Guys, we get a double dose this year because not in addition to the letter to shareholders, we're also going to get the HBO documentary Becoming Warren Buffett. So tune into the Money Guy Show and we're going to give you an all-you-can-eat Warren Buffett. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. I get excited. Uh, Hopefully you guys get it. I get excited this time of year. Some people who are the sports-type fanatics, they, they love the World Series, they love the Super Bowl, and not me. I get excited when Warren Buffett is releasing information out to the public because in every one of his letter to shareholders or every interview or even this documentary that he released, there's some nuggets of knowledge. And it's those nuggets of knowledge that get me excited because I'm trying to figure out how I can internalize it and take that knowledge and use it for myself. And that's, that's essentially what we're trying to do here with the Money Guy podcast is we want to go beyond common sense, restore order to your financial chaos, and help you figure out how... These learning, these teachable moments, that's a better way of putting it, these teachable moments can be brought forward to you so you can actually grow your assets and grow your personal finances. As you listen to today's show, I want to go ahead and give you guys kind of a cliff notes of what I've learned from reading for, for many, many years, Warren's writings as well as his interviews and things, is there's really three main themes of Warren Buffett. First, you have to understand that compounding interest is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. Wasn't it even said one time as the eighth wonder of the world? Yeah. It, it, you know, he, he even attributes it to the documentary to Einstein. I think we've proven that's not true. Yeah, we don't know who actually but said we don't that. Know, Somebody, but it is yeah. a powerful force. Compounding interest is definitely out there. That's where, as he even, as you figure out by reading about Warren Buffett, 56 years to make his first billion. Now, 30 years past that first 56, he's 86 years old, I think, uh, it's 70 times bigger. So that's an incredible, incredible thing. And the second thing on the, the, the themes that I notice about Warren Buffett, and if you can internalize this, is controlling your emotions and understanding human nature. If you want to sum that up, be a contrarian. Warren is the king of understanding human nature and being a contrarian so that you can control your emotions and do the things the opposite of what the herd is doing. So that's theme number two. And then the third thing that I think if Warren was saying, give me your summary of me in, in, in three common themes, it's intrinsic value. Nobody spots value as well as Warren Buffett does. So if you can understand what things should be worth, the intrinsic value of something, it will give you a leg up. So two things that I think are sort of incredibly remarkable is that Warren's been writing these letters to shareholders since 1977, I think. And he doesn't ever really say a lot of different stuff. He kind of says the same things over and over, but every single year he has a new way of saying something that he said he before in the past. It. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And, and the wisdom that he's able to impart every year, year in and year out, just sort of blows my mind. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I love about Warren, and I kind of picked this up watching the documentary, is he is like the king of humble brags. Did you notice that? <laughs> Like he's, no one would ever say, oh, you know, Warren, he's so full of himself and he just thinks that he's the cat's meow. 
But he's the kind of the king of, of, of humble brags. And I just, I thought that was a beautiful thing as I kind of read through the letter and then also watched, watched the documentary. It's probably hard not to humble brag when you have that many billion, though. Well, I guess that's probably true. But, okay. Here's the thing. Let's back up. Let me tell you who we are. Just in case you came in with the, you know, you're from your deserted island. I was going to make a Tom Hanks reference there, but it just totally went off cue because I couldn't remember the name of the volleyball. But, Castaway, um, Wilson. Wilson. There it is. So just in case you just got rescued off of your desert island and you haven't listened to us for going on 11 years now, this is the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'm sitting across from Mr. Bo Hansen. By day, we are fee-only financial advisors working with clients all around the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. We just didn't say United States anymore. All around the world. So we, we're we growing the family. If you want to take the relationship to the next level, love for you to reach out to us. You can write Bo directly at Bo, B-O, at moneyguy.com, or you can write me directly, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.com. Love to hear from you. Realize this was not a masterful marketing plan when we started doing this in 2006. It's a passion project. We still have continued the essence of that passion project and that we're trying to help you go beyond common sense and restore order to your financial chaos. So, guys, you hang in. Yeah, we throw out that little blurb, but now we're going to load you up with as much wisdom as we possibly can because we have realized the more successful we are at giving you guys free advice and watching you become successful we get this great side effect that occurs from that. You know, you watch a, a, a prescription drug commercial because they, they seem to be on everything. And they always, at the end, they, they change their tone of voice and they give you all the horrible things that are going to occur, <laughs> including your skin turning green. That's not what happens here. The side effect of you becoming better with your finances is we found out more of you guys kind of graduate and decide you need a financial advisor like us. So we're going to keep giving it, giving it, giving it away. And the more generous... We are with our knowledge. The more forthcoming we are, the more successful you are, and it's a beautiful cycle. So we're going to keep this thing rocking and rolling for many years to come. So let's talk about all you can eat, Warren Buffett. <laughs> I know. I, I still laugh I every time you, you say I it. I love that you laughed at that. When I showed it to you, and maybe I should just say all you can eat, Buffett. Or buffet. <laughs> because it, it kind of looks like buffet. And, you know, maybe it's because we're in the southeast and so much of my childhood. Friday night was we're going to the all you can eat buffet. <laughs> so it's um I don't know. Okay. Getting back on point. But I digress. <laughs> um becoming Warren Buffett. I first want to give you guys a few thoughts, overview before I get through these three learnable moments that I saw in in the documentary. Oh and and this is something because I'd love to meet Warren. I'd love to know that in some way he heard through the grapevine that there's this podcast out there. Because I do look up to a lot of the, the things he's done. But I will tell you that the documentary, this is probably reading a number of his books, reading books written about Warren, and, other th- and then reading all the letter to shareholders as they come out. This one gave me a glimpse, though, because it, it what here's what becoming Warren Buffett does. It interviews his children. Uh-huh. It interview You see interviews of his deceased first wife. Right. You see interviews um, with people who really know Warren Buffett, including Warren Buffett talking about things himself. And... It really kind of, I've realized some of the folksiness and the persona we see publicly is created by Warren on purpose. Um, he is a very analytical guy. I think he is, and his family members will share, in some aspects, that kept them from connecting completely sure. when they were younger because he's not this nurturing old grandfather type um, that was, you know, playing with the kids in the backyard at all times. Warren was consuming, you know, reading hours on hours each day 
And the, and the kids basically shared that he didn't suffer fools lightly, that if you came and interrupted his reading time, it wasn't uncommon for Warren to shoo you out if, if he just got bored with what you're sharing. And we all know kids, you know, they're kids. Yeah. They're kind of figuring out, they're, they're totally digesting and trying to figure out how this world works. So sometimes they will say the same thing three times. So, you know, as a parent, you love them to death that you put up with annoying things from time to time. It sounded like Warren was not as soft and cuddly sure. as his folksy letter to shareholders and his interviews on, on TV and all that stuff would make you feel about him. Um, and that, and that saddened me a little bit because here's the thing, and I don't want to go on too much of a sidebar, but the billionaires I've met, now I, I'm up to three. Um, one was social, but he made his money in retail. So that, that's, I think that that lends itself to. Sure. But some of the computer people, as well as now finding out about Warren Buffett's side of things, I think people who make their money in analytical type things, whether it's creating an IT company, a software company, or being a savant with numbers, I think there's a portion of Warren that doesn't connect with the world. Sure. He'll, he'll meet that too. He's so analytical. He's so hyper-focused that emotionally he's not as connected. Right. So I think that it, it was a very sobering moment for me to realize some of these people, when you reach billionaire status, they, they, to have what they have, something has probably been given up. And I don't know that I'm willing to trade. I love spending time with my family. Yeah. I, y'all should know, I'm, I don't plan on ever retiring. I think I'm going to die working because I truly do love what I do for a living. But even though I love, and on Sunday night, I'm actually excited about coming to work on Monday, end of the day comes, I'm excited about going home and hanging out with the family because it is... It's just one of those things, and I think I wouldn't trade that connection because I, I, I am, so, you know, what you hear on the podcast is who I am personally. I'm very, you know, and I don't want to say I'm emotional, but I definitely connect with my world sure. completely. I don't know that I'd want to trade that for a few extra zeros on the net worth right. statement if you if you had to give up something. So that, I thought that Becoming Warren Buffett was a good documentary, but it was it was Warren essentially naked. You yeah. got to see him as a person. And that was that that showed a lot, yeah. and, and and that's not a negative thing. It's just sharing that it's not more the true story. You got to see Warren as he is versus this public persona that, that's kind of put forward. So let's talk into the the teachable moments, the the nuggets of knowledge that Warren shared in the in the documentary. The first thing it opens up, the first scene is him in front of a classroom, and I thought that this was so appropriate. You, you have to pay attention. This is how you have to be very detail oriented. They flash through. The desktop where he Warren's sitting, and guess what's sitting on that desktop? A bunch of accounting books. So I assume this must be a world-class group of students that he's brought in that love the world of accounting like I do <laughs> because of the accounting books on there. But so, but anyway, he's You're, teaching. You, you have to be one of the only ten nerds on the face of the planet that noticed that there were accounting books sitting on that desk. Like you get that, right? Well, it's because we're more of a developed mindset. That's got to be what it is. The, the, the CPAs out there. I mean, this is. Guys, great major. By the way, if you're trying, if you're in college listening to this, and you're trying to figure out, don't get a general business degree. Get an accounting degree because accounting <laughs> is general business. Every business in the world has to understand accounting. Clients tell us all the time they appreciate how much we know about taxes, bookkeeping, and other things that most people in the finance field don't know. So accounting is a great, that's a little tidbit that Uncle Brian's just sharing. That, share that one was for free, huh? So getting back on point. Warren has got this classroom of students, and he starts the entire documentary saying, you need to, let's take into account, what if I came to you and made this proposition that I'll give you any car 
that you want. Anything in the world. You could choose any car. The catch, though, that's the only car you're going to have your entire life. And he said, he continues on. He says, because it's the only car you're ever going to have, you're going to, you're going to love on that car. You're going to take care of it like nothing else you've ever seen because you know that it's your one car and it has to last. And the point, the teachable moment that he then reveals is you only get one mind, one body. So you better make the most of your mind and body because yeah, you might be loving it right now and you can do whatever. I, I, I got my hair cut this morning, Bo. And, and I love the person who cuts my hair, but she was sharing that one of her favorite things is she can eat like a pound of, of chocolate chips in one sitting, like the ones <laughs> you bake with. And, and, you know, now, and, and, and she's in her twenties. So right, I'm right, sitting right. there and, I'm, and, and it made me think of Warren Buffett in this quote because, yeah, you can get away with eating a pound of chocolate, of baking chocolate chips while you're in your twenties. But if you continue that process, you're not taking care of that mind and body sure. because you, you'll have issues down the road because your body just can't keep processing. And I think that that's a valuable thing, especially I think Warren is 86 now. Uh, we should know that, but he, he's on up there. He's in sure. his 80s. And um, this is the problem when I do stuff off memory. Let's see if I'm right. Okay. You're, you're, you're quickly on Google. But Warren's in his 80s, and I think he probably, because he is in his 80s, he can respect that the mind and body is so much more powerful and you have to take into account. 86? That's did impressive. I date, did I date him or is he right? No, that's 86. That's exactly how – I don't think you dated him. Um, 86 <laughs> years old is how uh, – is, is how, <laughs> Why is that funny? That is not funny. Keep going. Though. He's he's 86 years old. He'll be, uh, he'll be 87 this year. So good memory. That's that accounting background. So the second thing was be willing to take the extra step that others are not. Guys, this is so – if you don't get anything outside of the podcast, this is something especially for my young folks – you gotta go beyond basic. If you're not going beyond basic, you're blowing it, I think, in life. And I think that the second one, it even ties into the first one of making the most of your mind and body. Cause I think that two things are, that are really interesting to me are that even though Warren has quote unquote won the game, right? You know, he is the wealth, you know, one of the wealthiest men on the planet and he's been incredibly successful. He still exercises his mind. He still reads. I think I read that he reads like six or seven hours a day. Um, I'm not so sure about what his physical routine is now, but I would imagine to still be able to get up and move around like he did. He kind of focused on that sort of thing. He was willing to do things earlier and even now in life that most other people aren't willing to do. So if you're a young person, you should think about how you take care of your mind and body. But even if you're someone who's a little bit longer in the tooth, <clears throat> it's also <laughs> important to you know continue to take care of your mind and body even as you age. Well, I will, and, and, and I think that's a great stepping stool and in progression into this point of going on the extra step. If you go past mind and body and just think about the way you look at your world, this is the thing I want you to realize. And I think I, this is one of the things I think we have been very fortunate, Bo. You definitely do this because I'm going to share, share a story on you in a second. I know that I can tell, think of some life moments that have occurred for me because of the ability to see that I need to do something to make myself stand out. From everybody else, because here's what I've, I've recognized, especially moving into this this new community, where people are more like us from a social economic status. You know, people are all highly educated. It, it, it's a it's a very th this community we moved into right inside of Nashville, south of Nashville, in Franklin, Brentwood, uh, Tennessee, is that you have a lot of highly educated people. Sure. And what I've noticed is is that the t when I try to go to the restaurant. Everybody else is trying to go to the restaurant. When I try to take my kids to see the new Lego movie on a Sunday, 
it sells out two hours early because everybody else is trying to do the same thing. So a lot of things in life you'll recognize when you get around people like you, you're all doing the same thing. Right, yeah. So if you're not doing something to make yourself stand out or be different, you just blend in with the fabric of what everybody else is doing. And you might not realize that you're like everybody else, but it is something that you really need to take inventory of. So here's where this is a Warren Buffett thing that's shared in the documentary. And I immediately grabbed this and put it on here as a point is that we all know that Warren Buffett considers himself a value investor. Mm-hmm. He loves buying good companies, and he picks out value. We even have Bill Gates in the documentary talk about how nobody can pick out value as quickly and as well as Warren Buffett does. And and it, here's the thing So I, I thought was interesting. It, we all know that Warren Buffett attribu- attributes much of his talent and he learned what he knows about value investing by being mentored by Benjamin Graham. Now, Benjamin Graham, if you don't know, is considered the father of value investing and wrote the successful investing books of security analysis. He wrote the security analysis with David Dodd. That name's going to come into play here in a minute. And then he also wrote The Intelligent Investor. And you see a lot of press about The Intelligent Investor because it's still considered a really good you know, book for you to kind of digest and become a better investor with. But what most people don't know is that Warren learned and became mentored by, by Ben Graham because he went to Columbia. And, you know, a lot of you guys just think, well, he went to Columbia because, you know, that's, that's what he, you know, it just was the natural step. No. Right. The, the, what happened was Warren had just been rejected by Harvard. He tried to get into Harvard. Harvard <laughs> let him know, you know, you're not, you're not Harvard material. It's not going to really work out. But he had just read the book, Security Analysis. And I just shared that Security Analysis was written by Benjamin Graham and then David Dodd. Well, Warren was so impressed when he was going, he was looking through a brochure or something and he saw that both Benjamin Graham and David Dodd were both professors at Columbia. And he was like, whoa. These guys are professors. I like the book. So he wrote David Dodd a personal letter saying, really enjoyed your book that you and Ben Graham did. Um, I noticed that you're also professors at Columbia. Would love to learn and see what you could teach me. I'd love mm-hmm. for you to share your knowledge. And, and Ben, you know, and, and the thing is, David Dodd was so impressed with this letter that he pushed Warren Ford to be accepted for Columbia and got him in. That extra step, writing that personal letter, made Warren Buffett stand out. And if we wouldn't have had that extra step of going beyond basic, we might not have the best investor of our genera- yeah. of our lifetime, really. Yep. I couldn't say generation because I'm old, but I'm not as old as Warren. <laughs> but it is it is something that, that just that one extra step. So I wanted to share some life stories that, that I've seen for, for Bo and myself. Most of you guys probably don't realize uh, Mr. Bo Hansen, who's sitting across from me, actually talked me into hiring him. <laughs> I had not actually... I'd overlooked Bo. I, he actually striked me when I interviewed Bo. In co- he was in college. Um, and matter of fact, hey, let me give you another compliment, Bo. I knew I was on the advisory board for the University of Georgia Financial Planning Program sure. at that time. I got to know some of the professors. And it was one of your professors who actually brought your name forward to me and said, because I'd asked him for the top three students in the sure. program. Cause, um, and, and he brought your name forward. I had interviewed you. You did well. But... I thought you were too much like me. I mean, I, I just was like, I can't go train this guy and then let this guy go and start his own company after I've turned him into this monster of financial planning. So I, that you, it scared me. So I sent you away and then basically, like an ostrich, stuck my head in the sand and was interviewing all these other people and was not going to hire Bo Hansen. 
Well, it was probably a month, month and a half went by. I was still interviewing because I'm OCD about trying to get the perfect person, you know, because this was my first big hire at the time. Um, and you called me back and you said, Hey, I just want to check in with you. You know, felt like we had a good interview. I like what you're doing at the firm. I wanted to find out, you know, why I didn't get hired. And somehow you convinced me by the end of that phone call I should hire you. <laughs> so I think that that is such a powerful thing that you went a step above and actually followed up with sure, me. You yeah. called me and convinced me to hire you. And, and it has led to this partnership now where you're actually a, 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 a partner with the business that yeah. we share together. Pretty incredible stuff. That's that extra step. And I can look back on my life and I can remember, cause I always say I'm not, I was never a front row sitter in my accounting classes at the University of Georgia. I was clearly in the middle to back. And you can put the analogy that when I'm talking middle to back is meaning that if you took the bell curve on grades in public, in, in the, in the accounting major, I was probably in the middle to the back. One on, standard deviation on, to the uh, left. You know, I was, I was always, I walked into every classroom knowing that I was smarter than 50% of the students, but I was definitely not sitting on the front row as I, as I call. So I interviewed, we were, cause I was going through the interview process with accounting firms and made it through the first cycle where, you know, they came to campus and they interviewed a bunch of students, but then they were doing a callback of like 12 students to go work to, to they were hiring two. But they had hired, a, I mean, they had interviewed a bunch right. and they were bringing in, you know, 10 to 12 students yeah. to actually go on site to visit mm-hmm. them at their at their branch office. But during that first kind of cleanser or filter that I went through with one of the partners at the university, um, he let me know, hey, he saw on my resume in my hometown. He said, hey, we have, a, we have a client actually in your hometown. You know, it's a hardware store, a little tiny hardware store that's in town. Um, and he mentioned the owner's name and I was like, Oh yeah, I know, I know that guy. He was actually the scout leader to a lot of my friends and other things. So I, I filed that away. Well, I made it through when I found out that I was going to make it to the next round of interviews on site and I knew that they were going from 12 to two. I was like, and I knew the other kids that were being interviewed and I was like, some of those are front row sitters. <laughs> I can't compete with a front row sitter. So, so I was like, well, what can I do? And I was like, Oh, I remember that Bob had mentioned the hardware store in my hometown. So I actually, because there was a break or something in between, I actually had the opportunity. I went into the hardware store. Um, I knew the gentleman because he was in my community. He knew me from, you know, all my friends, you know, because I was, I was not a Boy Scout. I was a Cub Scout, a wee below, but I did not make it because once they started sleeping outside, old Wimpy Brian was like, <laughs> I'm going to let my buddies, you know, y'all can keep sleeping in the Korean tents that, you know, have holes in them, but I'm going to, Go do something else. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But, but I went and talked to, to Paul, the, the hard, the hardware store owner and just said, Hey, look, I'm interviewing at this firm. Anything you could share with me about working with them? And I remember later I went and made sure at every interview with the partners when I was on that site visit, I mentioned that I had gone and inter- interviewed one of their clients just to, to, to tell them, Hey, I, I checked you guys out. And I found out two years later that they hired me because they were so impressed that I went and interviewed one of their clients to see what their firm, instead of me just going through the process passively, right. I'd actually gone a step above and researched them to make sure it was something that I wanted to work at. And we did the same thing. One of your friends, Bo, yep. was um, having trouble finding a firm. He gotten a financial planning degree, wanted to get an, and. Through conversations, I said, I know several of the partners at that firm, you know, and I said, tell him to call me. Let's talk about it and then make sure he tells them in the call that he researched the firm and throw my name out. 
And he got the job. Yep, that's right. So I'm telling you, this stuff works. And I went way longer on this one point, but it is such a powerful point. Go beyond basic. If you're interviewing, if you're doing any, and it's not just interviewing. It's you could be, if you're trying to figure out, if you're coming up with starting your own company and you're trying to come up with a product or a service, what are you doing that nobody else is doing? That's go beyond basic. And that's what Warren's talking about doing that extra step by, and he did that by writing that letter. To, to David Dodd. Maybe you work at a big employer. You have a big company with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees, and there are a hundred other folks around the country that have the same job title as you. What's the thing that you're doing that those other hundred folks aren't doing? How are you going to make yourself special inside of that world relative to those other folks? That's kind of the mindset you have to be if you want to, even inside of a corporate structure, progress through the ranks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, change that mindset. Turn that internal voice from po- from negative to positive, and guys, sky's the limit. I'm telling you, it really is. So the next one, this is the closeout point I had on becoming Warren Buffett, and this is a powerful one. I think this is. Remember when I told you those two main themes I saw was understanding basic human nature. This next one's huge. Warren Buffett all but tells you if you're 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 blowing it if you have not read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. You know, so Warren has multiple degrees. You know, he's, he's got the, the thing from Omaha. He's got Columbia. Yep. You know, he's, he's, he's highly educated, but those diplomas aren't up in his office. Y'all know what diploma is in his office? His completion certificate from the Dell Carnegie course. He, th- he says that this is so powerful to his success and the fact that, you know, he recognized that he was good at business, but he was not connecting fully with the world around him. And we, we talked about that. He's highly analytical, hyper-focused. You know, these things were keeping him from being able to understand how to function well right. within society. So he discovers this Dale Gar- Carnegie course, which is built off the basics shared and how to win friends and influence people. And it just kind of came together for yep. him. And he caught on. And I think that it still continues on with his letter to shareholders, his interviews, where so much of his contrarian investment principles is based upon understanding human nature and the emotions that are driving most people. So go read this book. What I love about it is this is not just a business book. If you interact with other human beings, whether it's (laughs) boyfriend, girlfriend, exactly. If you are somebody with a pulse on this planet, you should read this book because it's all about interaction, not just in the business world, but with your spouse, with your friends, with your family. It it really is remarkable. And if you're curious, if you ever want to come, you know, work with a bound wealth management, this is required reading for any of our new hires. So this is a, it's a big deal. No, it is. It's one of those books. I tell anybody who starts working here, go read this book. And this is before even Warren was, you know, putting this in my mind. I mean, it's just, it's actually one of my mentors mentioned this book. I mean, it's one of those things that you go read it because it was, and I I hate to keep, we don't, we should have done this in pre-prep. When was, when, when was that book written? It was written Great Depression era in thirties? When was, you just you just keep on talking, and I'll get us an answer for that. <laughs> I'm so bad about springing things on you, but realize how to win friends and influence people was written decades ago. So it, this is how good and how timeless this advice is: is that decades can go by, and the exact stuff that's in there is still going to be so powerful to you in your future. It was originally published in October of 1936. So after the Great Depression, that's yeah, incredible. That's I mean, it's really powerful stuff. So let's transition now to the 2016 letter to shareholders that was just released a few weeks ago. Two weeks ago? I mean, it was, it was just a couple it was weeks really, ago. Really, yeah. really recently. 
So the first thing, these are basically just straight up quotes. And then I, I'm going to interject with these quotes. So the first one I'd put, this is my words, being a contrarian can be profitable, a.k.a. look for opportunities when things are scary. We've heard this before. How many times have you guys heard me use, use the quote of, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful? And it's probably backwards. It's a, you know, you know me. I mix things up all the time. But the, the gist is, you need to be excited when others are freaking out. So let's read what Warren's quote was. So here's the quote from Warren. It said, quote, Every decade or so, dark clouds will fill the economic skies, and they will briefly rain gold. When downpours of that sort occur, it is imperative that we rush outdoors carrying wash tubs, not teaspoons. Now, I remember him using this quote previously with, like, thimbles. A thimble, yeah. I mean, so this is the same. I mean, he's just, it's like you said, Bo, he's, he's tweaked it he's a little bit. But it is it. the same thing where, guys, be be happy when things are horrible outside economically because that's probably going to be, that's what, because remember, it's hard to make money when everything's efficient. Mm-hmm. And that's what you'll hear in a minute. We're going to talk about some index funds. And a lot of why index funds are so successful is because the market is efficient. When things are inefficient, that's where you can get some value. There's lots of value when things are very inefficient because you can go pick out things that others are not seeing. That's where value comes in. But let me throw out one caveat sort of as an investing guy, something to think about. If you notice, Warren's quote says, every decade or so, dark clouds will fill the economic skies. And so you might be thinking, I'm going to be one of these folks who rushes out with my wash tub, and when the dark skies come, I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, that's about one time every 10 years. You need to be thinking, the other nine times, skies look pretty good. So don't be someone who's constantly sitting on the sidelines waiting for that opportunity. Just recognize that it does benefit you when you see that opportunity to take advantage of it, but I wouldn't just wait on it. And that's a great lead into point number two. It pays to be optimistic about the future. Here's the quote that Warren gives. It says, Early Americans, we should emphasize, were neither smarter nor more hardworking than those people who toiled century after century before them. But for those venturesome pioneers, crafted a system that unleashed human potential, and their successors built upon it. This economic creation will deliver increasing wealth to our progeny far into the future. Yes, the buildup of wealth will be interrupted for short periods from time to time. Editorial comment, Bo, that's exactly what you're talking about. Short interruptions from time to time. It will not, however, be stopped. I'll repeat what I've said in the past and expect to say in future years. Babies born in America today are the luckiest crop in history. Guys, and I don't think his lip service. I think Warren really believes no, this. No, it's true. I mean, he is the one. Remember when 2008 and 2009 were occurring, when everybody is thinking the wheels are falling off this baby. Nope. Warren's like, oh, my goodness, can I go buy Goldman Sachs at this price? Like, by goodness, we're going to buy Goldman Sachs at this price. I can buy General Electric at this price? Oh, my goodness, let's go buy some Ge- Bank of America? I don't know if you guys read the fine print of the letter to shareholders. Maybe you count on us to give you that. He he lists his marketable securities they're invested in. Bank of America is not on the list, but there's a little asterisk down below that says Bank of America is not on our list, but we have some rights, you know, and there's language, you yeah. know, the, the extra term. Because of our investment years ago, we're going to, within the next few years, we have billions of dollars of embedded gains because of our investment back when the sky was falling. It's beautiful. So, I mean, he really does practice. And this is what has made him so successful, is that he is an optimist. 
but he's also willing to pull out the checkbook when everybody else is freaking out. But Warren, uh, right now, you know, I was watching Fox Business last night or CNBC or fill in the blank. I checked Google Finance and the market, the Dow Jones just crossed over 21,000, uh, 21,000 recently and the markets are at all time highs. Don't you think it's a little overvalued now and maybe you should start selling? But who's it? No. I mean, cause that's the thing is that what we think is overvalued. What's it going to be 10 years from now? And that actually is a great quote, because here's, here's the quote that I'd put. I couldn't put this, in, but this is something. American business, and consequently a basket of stocks, is virtually certain to be worth far more in the years ahead. Innovation, productivity gains, entrepreneurial spirit, and abundance of capital will see to that. Ever-present naysayers may prosper by marketing their gloomy forecast, but heaven help them if they act on the nonsense they peddle. <laughs> Guys, if you watch any talk radio, if you listen to talk radio or you watch any of the cable news channels, what do you see at commercial breaks? I mean, it, it, and it varies. You either go see gold, seed banks, or you go see somebody, you know, pushing their newsletter on why Mark Cuban or somebody is saying the wheels are falling off of the economy. Um, the thing is, and Warren just totally shut them down. He said, God help them if they're actually <laughs> taking this advice, that they're peddling. Maybe it will enrich them that they're selling this, but it's not because of their advice. Just be an op- be optimistic about the future. No matter, look, I get it. The world is so divided right now, and the media, they're so negative just about everything, because I think they realize that's what keeps the eyeballs on the screens but there's a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be opti- op- optimistic about as well. So I get it, Brian. Being a contrarian can be profitable, and then it pays to be optimistic in the future. So if I've got those two down, what could go wrong? Well, let's talk about the next one, which is control your fears and emotions. So, And here's the thing, because I think he, makes a, he, he differentiates between things you can control and things you can't control. So here's, here's what he's wrote. Quote, During such scary periods, you should never forget two things. First, widespread fear is your friend as an investor because it serves up bargain purchases. Second, personal fear is your enemy. It is also unwarranted. Investors who avoid high and unnecessary costs and simply sit for an extended period with a collection of large, conservatively financed American businesses will almost certainly do well. End quote. I mean, he's basically saying it's hard to screw it up. Don't screw it up. If you just understand human nature and human emotion, you're going to be okay because you're sticking where the value is. America is going to have lots of value going forward. Stay with what you know, and you're going to be rewarded. Um, so controlling your fear and emotions works hand in hand with the contrarian mentality as well as being very optimistic about the future. So here's the last point I had. And this is a big one. If you guys follow me on Twitter, please go check us out on Twitter. We'd love to get up to 5,000 as soon as possible. We don't have a corporation pushing us, so I need you guys to be the grassroots that's going to make that happen. But if you follow me on Twitter, this is the week that this came out, the weekend that the, the letter to shareholders came out. I sent some tweets on this because I thought it was very helpful. And this is the stuff you, why you're seeing this kind of shut down, I think, on the, the cable news business networks because it's kind of anti-Wall Street to a degree, is that... Warren had written, and I put the point, that you don't want to underestimate the power of simple investing with index funds. Um, and here's the quote. Well, I, let me do the setup, and then I'll give you the quote. A lot of press has been made about a bet that Warren made yep. in 2007. I think this did get press. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Warren Buffett, in 2007, 
had made the comment that he thinks the over the coming 10 years, the S&P 500 is out going to perform hedge funds. And he even specifically, it was kind of a, I'd like to say it's a money guy echo, but let's face it, Warren, I don't think he's he a money guy echo. But he did talk about, because <laughs> within a recent podcast, I mentioned how hedge funds have a 2 in 20 policy, meaning that they have a 2% operational expense as well as a 20% performance, performance fee. fee that they get once they go above a certain performance value that's usually pretty modest. Um, and, and, and he talks about how because of the fee structure, the S&P is probably going to dominate. And he even said, you know what? I'll put up $500,000. I think it expanded to a million. Yeah, but, but, but in 2007, when he made the statement, it was a $500,000 wager. Well, now we fast forward. We haven't made it the full 10 years, but we've made it through nine years. So we're in the 10th year as we, you know, as we sit here and, and the results are pretty astonishing. They, they truly are. I mean, let me, let me tell you where we are. The hedge funds, because a, a gentleman did step up. First, it was crickets. He made fun of the fact that when he made this bet, there wasn't a lot of people falling all over themselves to make this bet with Warren. But there wasn't a gentleman that stepped up and realized all the, this wager is not where it's going to benefit Warren. It's actually going to a charity. On both sides. Uh, on both sides. Yeah. So, so the money's going to, to, a, to a charitable cause. But this gentleman stood up, stepped up, came forward, chose five fund of funds, that he considered best in industry. You know, this is because he's, this is what this guy does for yeah. a living. So yeah. he does that. And then Warren's got the S&P 500. So we're nine years into the 10 year bet. And through the end of 2016, the hedge funds were up 2.2% annually. The S&P 500, I feel like we ought to have a drum roll is up 7.1%. That, that's annually. That's per year. 7% per so year versus almost 2%. A, it's a 4.9% annualized difference that that's tremendous i mean it, it truly is and so here was the bottom line that, that warren quoted he said the bottom line quote the bottom line when trillions of dollars are managed by wall streeters charging high fees it will usually be the managers who reap outsized profits not the clients both large and small investors should stick with low-cost index funds so you know we have this discussion with clients all the time does that mean that somebody who's 80 years old should just have the s&p 500 and that's it I mean, it kind of fits into what Warren's talking about and the fact that you sit on the sidelines with your American companies that have, you know, conservative financial statements are going to be okay. I don't know that I think that Warren is saying that an 80-year-old should have 100% of their money in the S&P 500 because, and, and I'm internalizing this, I think when I'm in my 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, we have another 2008 where the market loses 37%, down up to 50% at certain points in the, during the year. I'm probably, if I've got my nest egg, going to be ready to puke if that happens. Sure. So I don't think, so I still think that diversification is going to be your friend. But in some of these asset classes that are efficient, like the S&P 500, the large companies, and we shared in many podcasts while we consider these efficient marketplaces, you should do it. So probably the average person is going to have 30 to 60% of their money, depending upon their age, their risk profile, and all kind of things that we can't get into on, a, on a, an hour podcast. But you're going to have a good portfolio is going to have index funds because, and here's why. If the market's efficient, that mutual fund, a lot of the index funds are going to be a nickel for every hundred dollars they're managing for you. So for every thousand, it's 50 cents. For every, I mean, think about that. That's, that's powerful, guys. Every thousand dollars they're managing for you, they're charging you 50 cents. That's pretty incredible. And you're getting to keep as much of that in your pocket as possible. So index funds, and that's when he even gave a little love 
to Bogle. Mm-hmm. You know, Bogle came up with this concept on index funds in the 70s. A lot of Wall Streeters made fun of him, picked on him. And um, Jack Bogle He's done all pushed right. forward, and, and the concept has worked out. And I think that smart investors, and we we do, have incorporated that into their plans. And I think if you're doing that, it's a win-win for everybody. We love how we're optimistic about the future of the United States, so we're buying the S&P 500 for our clients. And we think that that makes sense for everybody to, to, to try to figure out where you are from a risk spectrum and then figure out how index funds should work for you. Warren Buffett obviously likes them, so so give them a look and see if they understand, you know, or something that fits into your portfolio mm-hmm. quite nicely. So those were the, the the big points I have. Did you anything else that you kind of grabbed or, or gravitated to for watching these two things or reading this? You know, I thought it was really great. And and uh, one thing that the documentary talked a lot about is that you know Warren uh, he just has an ability, and they phrased it this way. So these aren't my words; these are their words. He just has an ability to stack up money. He has the ability to make really good investments. Um, but what I like about it is, uh, and it ties in with some of the mentality we have here, you know, have here at our firm, is that the goal for Warren, you know, he kind of viewed it as a game and a scorecard. But a lot of what that money is going to go do is going to serve a higher purpose. It's going to go do something else. So his goal wasn't to be wealthy for the sake of being wealthy. What happened with him is he ended up being a wealthy man because he was good at what he did. And now he's going to, you know, that a lot of that wealth is going to go out to help, you know, other people all around the world. I think that's a really, it does a nice job talking you think, about and, that. And this is off the cuff. Do you think that he started off with that? I don't know. That, I don't think, I, I think he started off loving what he was doing. It's kind of like he talks about the whole one more puff on the cigar butt. Right. I think Warren liked the fact, it's just like you saw in the documentary where he talked on, he picked on his teachers mm-hmm. by telling him that he's out there shorting <laughs> their pension, the, the, the stock that, his, that, that their pension's in. I mean, he, I think there was some gamesmanship or keeping score, as you sure. say, yep. in the beginning. But I think it is one of those things. And remember, I, I think that he was partially transformed by his friendship with Bill Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates have come into, and I think Warren and Bill and them, I think, you know, and Bill Gates has, when you get to this level of wealth, and then you start looking around and you go, okay, I'm here. And I, I've shared with you guys, and I've shared this with other clients who've had windfall moments. Like, you know, we, I had a, a client who I know is listening because he's a podcast listener, sold a company. And, you know, and they come with this money and I say, isn't it weird how you woke up the next day after you had this big windfall moment and your pants still went on the same way, your breakfast still tastes the same way? Yes, you're, you're feeling a little more fulfilled that you conquered a business thing, but you realize the world operates still the same way, even though you have now these millions of dollars in your bank mm-hmm. account. And I think that that is a sobering effect. So when you get past the survival and the, the, the portion where you're, you're, you're aspiring and aspirational to get to this level of wealth, and then once you accomplish it, you look around and you go, now what? Yeah. Now what is the next? And I think that's where Warren had that moment. And I think it was helped along by Bill and Melinda Gates where you, okay. Well, this money can be used for something else. And, and I think that that is a, a something that happens. It, it's, it's kind of a graduation that occurs, a maturing of the wealth when, when that happens. So um, it was an interesting thing. And I think, but the, the big, big thing I want to kind of close this out with, is something I started the podcast with, is that you guys, I want you to internalize this. I want you to look at your own personal finances and figure out how can you take these concepts and then, implement them in your own personal financial life. And then a lot of you, and you know, this is the same thing when I was getting my hair cut this morning, she told me she was working out now. And I was thinking, gosh, I should be working because I used to do CrossFit. And yeah, I, was saying, yeah. I don't do anything. But, and the reason is because 
the alarm goes off in the morning, I just... It's easy just to hit the snooze yeah. button and go. And so getting the train moving and out of the station is the hardest part. Your personal finances are the same way. There is not a bad day to start saving and building for the future. So if you're looking at this goal, you're going, man, that just seems so big. How in the world am I ever going to get there? It's going to get there one day at a time. And you have to start making those steps, making those sacrifices, making those investments as soon as possible. Or maybe you're someone who has, uh, you're not just starting out. Maybe you've built up a decent nest egg. You're, you've been, you know, you're great at what you do. You earn a high income, but you have 15 different accounts and 15 different places doing 15 different things. And the thought of getting your head all wrapped around it and working on it together just seems daunting. There's no better time to start thinking about how to get that sort of thing in place so that it is operating optimally and efficiently for you. There's no better time than right now. And it ties into this perfect quote that I found. Now, this was not in this year's letter to shareholders, but listen to this. This is a, I figured what better way to close it than a quote from Warren. Someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. And it goes back to the point Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett took 56 years to make that first billion. Fast forward 30 years later, it's now over 70. So if you can just start the train moving, the weight of it alone after a few years will start carrying it all for you so you don't have to work with your back, your hands, your brain. The Army's going to do it. So check us out, moneyguy.com. Like I said, we're working with clients now worldwide. Love to have you take the relationship to the next level. If you like what you hear, you're going to find that we're the same way when you talk to us, when you reach out to us. So, so reach out, go to, you know, you can check out the firm website at aboundwealth.com, check out uh, the, the, the podcast website at moneyguy.com, and then write us. Bo, B-O, at money, at moneyguy.com, or Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.com. Love to hear from you. Love doing the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't wait to talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.